Thank you, Lord, that you have guided us to the truth. You continue to show us what does it mean to love you. And I pray that today will be no different. Lord, I ask that you would just work in our hearts. I pray that we would be able to hear the things that we need to hear today, Lord. I pray that we walk out of here confident in who we are in Christ, confident in what does it mean to know that you will come back. I pray that we will be bold with the gospel, Lord, that you would use this sermon, not anything that I say, but the spirit, that you would use me to proclaim the glory and the honor of Christ. So I ask you to be with us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, my kids have an extensive library in their room. They probably read one book a year, but they have tons and tons and tons of books. And they're up there. They know. I'm not trying to put them out there, but they know. And so as I try to get them to read, one of the books that they enjoy is Percy Jackson and the Olympians. All right, so we got some fans. All I know is the movie, so I didn't read the books. But Percy Jackson, right, it's, I mean, if you know anything about it, it's a lot to do with Greek mythology, has to do a lot with this kid, and um, finds out his dad is, um, Haven, help me out here. There you go, Poseidus. And so the reality is that, right, I mean, you read these books, and there's different series of them, there's movies of them, and they're all mythological, right? They're all about certain stories that were once passed down generation to generation, but we knew that they weren't based in truth. We knew that um, as we read these, they're just entertaining. There's no substance to it aside from an enjoyable read. What do we do when those around us claim this to be a myth? What do we do when those around us claim that the Bible, the prophetic word of God, is fairy tales, fables? See, the current world will tell us that the Bible, though it could be a very good motivational book, it's got some good quotes in there, love your neighbor as you love yourself, but ultimately, it has no substance to what it means for our eternal lives, for our hope, for our confidence. And often, more than not, we ourselves can wrestle with that in ourselves. We could be in here and we can be followers of Christ. We love Jesus. We come and we worship. But then we walk sometimes in those doubts ourselves. And we ask ourselves, can, can we trust our faith can we trust that our faith will see its completion in the return of Jesus coming back? And we ask ourselves the question, Lord, when are you coming back? We read the, 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 the news and we watch the news and we see all these different things that are happening in our current world. And, and we wonder, God, where are you? When are you going to return there? Christians who are being persecuted. Our world is growing, growing more and more against who you are in your word. And we sit sometimes in the 
realities of feeling like, are we deserted? When is Jesus coming back? If you're taking notes this morning, I want this to be your, something you write. As we look at part one of this sermon, main point this morning is we can be confident that we know the truth of Christ's return for the power and glory of Christ has been revealed and witnessed by the apostles and the prophecies of scripture. So again, we can be confident that we know the truth of Christ's return for the power and the glory of Christ has been revealed and witnessed by the apostles and the prophetic word. The OT, the Old Testament, required at least two witnesses to establish truth. So if you were in a court setting in the Old Testament, in order for your case to be valid, you would need at least two witnesses to establish truth in the judicial system. Peter and 2 Peter chapter 1 is going to do the same thing. Peter's trying to establish that we can be confident in the return of Christ, in the truth of the gospel, one, because of the witness of the apostles, and two, the witness of the prophetic word. So we can be confident in, who, in the return of Christ in two ways. The witness of the apostles and the witness of the prophetic word. Let's begin. <clears throat> For we did not follow cleverly devised myth when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What is truth? These were the famous words that Jesus, um, Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? And this seems to be what Peter is dealing with in his current climate. He's dealing with a lot of different versions of the gospel being told. Now, Peter himself is nearing the end of his life. And we know that in verse 13, he says, therefore, I tend to always remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in truth that you have. I think it is right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up in the way of, uh, in the way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off my body will soon be, will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Peter knows that he's pretty close to death and his glorified moment with the resurrected Jesus will happen soon. So he wants to encourage the church to continue in the qualities of what it means to live a godly life. But more importantly, he also wants us to see that we can be confident that Jesus is going to come back. Again, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word here, majesty, means splendor and glory. Peter boldly is saying, we did not follow these you know, myths or fables 
or stories, none of those things. We saw the glory and the splendor of Jesus with our very own eyes. Peter said, we're not following these things that you're hearing from other people, but we ourselves are eyewitness testimony of the goodness and the glory and the power of Christ. We walked with him. We ate with him. We worshiped together. When Peter writes, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is not recalling his first coming. Rather, what Peter is saying here, when he says, we have made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is referring to the second coming. He's not referring to the Christmas story, Jesus putting on flesh, Jesus going to the cross and our resurrection. But no, Peter here is focusing on the fact that Jesus will return and he will make all things new. Peter's confidence in in the second coming has to do with what he has witnessed. But the question remains, why such a defense? Why does Peter have to defend his own eyewitness, eyewitnesses' claims to the power and the resurrection and the glory of Jesus? Well, if we see in chapter 2, and I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to you know, go for some small things here, just to show you why Peter had to defend the, witnesses, the witness of his own Scene of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter two, chapter 2 says this. But false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring destructive heresies. Even denying the master who brought them. Bringing them up themselves with swift destruction. Peter has to defend the gospel, because he's saying there are teachers that are saying the complete opposite of what they once learned and believed to be. Many false teachers were teaching that the second coming of Christ was wishful thinking. And therefore, any hope in Christ was ludicrous. How can you put your faith in, 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 in his return? See, perhaps false teachers here were fooling themselves because the second coming will come with judgment. Yes, Christ will come in his glory and he will bring his people to the final completion of faith. But the gospels, the Bible teaches us that God will also come with judgment. The world will have to be held accountable. So it's easier to dismiss the scriptures and say, it's a myth. I can live my life the way I want to live and keep believing the lie that this is not God's word. We find many people today rather, you know, say the same thing. Say the death and the resurrection and the second coming of Christ is a myth. But I think ultimately, it's easier to believe that 
than it is to believe that the reality is that if Jesus is who he says he is, and he is, he will come back to all of us will have to give an account. But Peter says, do not lose hope, for I myself have witnessed the glory of God. He says, Christians, you do not have to feel that you cannot have confidence in your faith. I witnessed the glory of God being revealed. He says in chapter 1, for when he received honor and glory, majestic honor and glory from God, the Father, and the voice borne to him by the majestic glory said this, this is my beloved son with who I am well pleased. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter says, listen, we've witnessed the glory, the power, and the majestic beauty of Jesus. We've seen him transform to this radiant light that we can't even fully explain, but it was glorious. The Gospels, both Mark, Luke, and Matthew talk about this specific day. See, Peter's recalling a specific day in his own history that he got to see the glory of God. And we see that in Matthew chapter 17, the transfiguration. You don't have to go there. If you want to, you can. It's the transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Notice, by the way, it's not just Peter. He takes John and he takes James. This is what he says. We were eyewitnesses, not just himself. He uses the plural word, we. And he took with him Peter, James, and John's brother, John, his brother, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like a sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was speaking. He was still speaking when behold, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said this, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their face and they were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Psalm chapter 8 verse 5 says, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Peter witnesses the transfiguration of Jesus. What a glorious moment, by the way. If you can just picture yourself 
You're following Christ, the Messiah. He leads you up to this mountain. You're wondering, like, okay, why is it just me, James, and John? And all of a sudden, the Jesus that you know, you've eaten with, you've laughed with, transfigures in front of you and is completely in his radiant glory. Standing next to Elijah and Moses, which ultimately signifies that Jesus is the completion of the Old and the New Testament. Jesus is the greater, the greater one. All you could do is bow on your knees and worship. And that's what we see Peter saying. Peter's like, I witnessed this. We can be confident that Jesus is coming back and that the truth of his glory, because I have witnessed it. And here's the thing. I have nothing to gain by writing this. Once again, Peter is writing to the persecuted church when he's writing the second Peter, when he's writing first and second Peter. Peter has nothing to gain by witnessing to the glory of Christ. They're being captured and killed. Peter's saying, if, if this was a story that I made up, if this was a myth, you think I would do it knowing that death awaits on the other side? I got nothing to gain by writing this letter unless I know that what I witnessed is the truth. And therefore, death has no place for me. Therefore, Christ, I put my hope and my full confidence in him. Death, where is your sting? We can be confident that Jesus is coming back, church. And the truth of his glory, because we have the apostles who have witnessed the glory, who have nothing to gain, but wanting us to see that Jesus will return in his glory. He will come back in his glory. We move on to our second point. We talked about the witnesses of the apostles. We've talked about what it means to know that Jesus is coming back. Second, we see that we can be confident that we follow the truth of the coming of Christ by the witness and the prophetic word. Remember, I told you in the Old Testament, you need two witnesses. This is now the second witness. Coming up to the judicial system and ready to make his point. And this is what Peter says. From one week, oh, so this is what Peter says, uh, verse, verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Again, we've already established the apostles' testimony. And one can make the case here 
One can make the case and say that these witnesses that they were followers of Jesus were making, again, we, we established they were making false claims, right? They could look at Peter and say, yeah, okay, you claim to be a witness to the glory of God, but is that all you got, Peter? Is that all you got? Peter's like, no, see, that's not what I have. I have the prophetic word that points to the glory of Christ. The very scriptures that these false teachers were trying to twerk for their own message, Peter is saying, it is this very word that preaches about the glory of Jesus and the coming of Christ. It was the prophetic word that helped Peter make sense of what he saw in Matthew chapter 17. It was the prophetic word that Peter was able to kind of comprehend what was happening when in Psalms chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord said to me, you are my son today, I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth. Peter was well acquainted with scripture and he would have understood what he was seeing in Matthew chapter 17, his experience of the glorified king was prophetic words in this very moment in his life. He was witnessing Psalms chapter 2 verse 7 come to its fulfillment. He writes, pay attention as a, light sh a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. In other words, what Peter is saying here is pay Close attention to the word. Play, play, uh, pay close attention to God's word and what it teaches. Be ready to grow in godliness. Psalm 119 verse 105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 19.8 the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. God's word is everything we need for godliness. And so Peter, when he's saying, pay attention, when he says in chapter 2, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. When we know God's word, when we accurately study and be well acquainted with God's word, it will lead us out of the dark understanding of what the Bible is teaching the Bible, the word of God helps us see the glory of Jesus when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. You want to know the answer to backsliding in your faith? Pay attention to what scripture teaches. I've heard a lot of 
stories. I know a lot of my friends that I've gone to school with who are no longer walking in the faith because they have believed a twisted version of Scripture that is not the one that we see here. Accepting or believing certain things that Scripture clearly teaches against. False teachers exist. False teachers will take Scripture and twist it for their own version of what they want to teach. They have itching ears. And Peter is saying, listen, when you do well to know what the Scriptures teach, when you do well to go to a church that preaches the gospel, the word is like a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I can walk in the fullness of knowing I can walk with Christ, but I can also be attentive to what is not true gospel. I can say this is false. The answer to backsliding is to pay attention to the prophetic word of God. Verse 20, knowing that first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How can we have confidence in the resurrected and the King of Glory coming back? Simple. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Nothing in here that we have in this book was inspired by just men's interpretation. No. Peter is saying everything we find here from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation, it is to reveal the glory of Christ. It is to reveal God's holy word and all of it is inspired by him. He's the author. The word here, produced, when he says, knowing that, first of all, no scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced, the word here, produced, means feral, which means to bring a thought or an idea to circulation. Peter's saying, Nothing that we have in here is our interpretation. Trust me, if it was, we would, it would be terrible. We would read it and be like, this, this does not even make sense. But he's saying this is God's word. Second Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profit, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The Lord has given us his word. We have everything we need for godliness. Everything that Peter talks about in chapter one about the qualities, remember, we talked about that last Sunday. For the very reason we make, in verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge 
and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. These things, these qualities are given to us in his word. You want to grow in these things? Read the word. Partake in what the church is doing on Wednesdays. Get well acquainted with the scriptures. I love John Piper. He says, just don't give the word a little dabble, but completely immerse yourself in the word. Read saturated books of, about Jesus and the glory. All of his word is breathed out so that we have everything we need until he returns. He says, verse 1, verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The word carried here means fairy. Translated in English, it means fairy. You know, like the boats. One commentary says this. One has to imagine, and he's talking about what it means that the Holy Spirit carried these writers of Scripture. The commentary says, one has to imagine these writers as cars aboard a ferry. Each one got on the ferry. Each one appeared to be doing his own thing. Each one delivered his own distinctive word. But at the same time, it is the owner of the ferry, in this case, God, made sure they all landed together at his port because he carried them to their destination. It was not the interpretations of the writers they did not create something that was brand new. No, they took what the Spirit of God told them. And the freedom of using their own, what makes them, them. And yet, God was the one who carried them to their destination. God said, this is what I want you to write. This is the message you will proclaim to the world. I'm from the city of Chicago. I talk different. I grew up different. So my vocabulary is going to come from the street. So when I preach the word of God, you might sense like, this guy's from probably from the neighborhood. I am. But the Lord can use me for his prophetic word the same way he used Peter, John, and everyone in the Old Testament. I might have different qualities, say, from someone like Andy or Jake. But at the end of the day, we preach the gospel. And we proclaim the glory of God. And, and that's what Peter is saying. We might all have different styles in how we write and how we talk, how we live. But at the end of the day, it is God who inspires this very word. All prophecy is given to us by God. One source I looked at a couple nights ago said, 
Experts cite that the Bible is made out of 26 to 33% prophecy. Listen to this. About 75 to 80% has been fulfilled, leaving only 20 to 25% for the end times. Scripture is being fulfilled when we read it. The prophetic word of God is being fulfilled. Why prophecies? Why has God given us his prophecies? It's to point us to the glory of his son. All scripture is pointing to one reality. It is Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel that all can come to know him and have the freedom to be forgiven and to be justified and to made new. All scripture is given to us by God to point us to the gospel, the glory of his majestic son. Did Jesus fulfill prophecy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Isaiah 53. For he grew up like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should even look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as it's one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and he was not esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. This is Isaiah 53, written 700 years before the arrival of Jesus. When someone reads this, who do you think it's speaking of? Surely he borne our grief, pierced, crushed for our iniquities. This is the proclamation, the prophetic word of the death of Christ. Jesus fulfilled prophecy. And yet, we still await a prophecy. We still await for the prophecy of his arrival. When he will come back and make all things new. A new heaven and a new earth. Revelation chapter 1 says this. And among the lamb stands was someone like a son of man. Dressed in robe. Reaching down to his feet with the golden slash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool. As white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Does not remind you of Matthew 17? When the glory was revealed to Peter, the glory will be revealed to every one of us who belong to Christ. We too, church, believers, we too will experience the radiant, majestic glory and honor of Christ. We will behold him. 
for all his beauty and majestic glory, and we will worship. And he would embrace us, and he would call us sons and daughters. The Father will embrace us because of what his Son has done for us. We await that day, church. And best believe, if we know that Christ has fulfilled prophecies, and we know if we read scriptures, we can be well acquainted with ways that God has fulfilled his words, best believe that his return will come. How does this certainty help us to live a Christian life? Let me give you some applications this morning. How does this certainty help us to live the Christian life? One, it helps us have confidence that we are living in truth. And it should cause us to grow and follow Christ. By us having confidence in the fulfillment of God's word and the coming of his son, we should have confidence that we're living in the truth. We should walk boldly with our heads high, knowing that what God has said will come to fruition. And it should cause us to grow. It should cause us to lead us to want to know more about Jesus. It should help us stir in our hearts the affections of wanting to grow in godliness. Number two, it helps us share the good news. Peter talks about be ready to give an account for what you believe. When we are confident in the truth that we believe and the promise of the return of Christ, the truth of his resurrection, the death of the cross, we can be confident to proclaim that to others with certainty. We can say, hey, we don't believe in blind faith here. We believe that God has spoken and has given us his word, let me proclaim the goodness of the gospel to you. Let me tell you why we live in such a world that is broken. And who is the one that can redeem that? It's Jesus. It helps us to evangelize our communities, our schools, our job settings, Number three, it helps us to rejoice in our suffering. It helps us to rejoice when we're suffering, when things in our lives are not going the way they should. Maybe they're health issues, money problems. Whatever it might be, we can have doubts of, God, what are you doing? Our certainty in the truth of God's word is that God will fulfill all his promises. All things work for those who love him and according to his purposes. Nothing in your life is happening by chance. God is good and he will fulfill the promises. Nothing is better than the day that comes when he brings it and makes everything new. Your current suffering will compare nothing to the glory that is waiting for us. I want you to believe that. 
truly believe that whatever you're experiencing this morning, whatever suffering it may be, the glory that awaits you and me, brothers and sisters, is like nothing we've ever experienced. And it makes our suffering here hopeful. You could be hopeful in suffering. And I, I want to end with this. To those who don't believe, or for those of you who are tempted to flirt with a different gospel, I give you a gentle pastoral warning. The Lord will return as we've seen in, in 2 Peter, as we see in Revelation. And when he comes back, he will bring judgment. He will rescue his bride and he will redeem the church, but he will also bring judgment. And so the warning is if one, if you do not know him, come and believe in the truth of who God is. Come and believe in the glories of Jesus Christ who's died, who died and resurrected and will come back. Come to know him who gives life. I plead to you if you're flirting with a different gospel that is not the one that's been proclaimed, repent. Turn around. Trust in what you read. God will redeem you. And you will see the glory of God on the day of his return. And we're going to see that in a couple weeks, well, more than a couple, three weeks from now, just what that means for us in the return of the glory of Christ.